0: For our main speaker and lesson for this morning, I'd like to invite you to join me in welcoming our senior minister, a man of vision and passion.
1: Please join me in welcoming Reverend Patrick Cameron. Good morning. Thank you, Reverend Kathleen. It is said that a, f- a field of grace emerges when people come together for prayer <clears throat> or for good intentions. And you see it frequently around natural disasters where people will come together. What happens is there's a dissipation of, of negativity. And so I would invite you, as we come together today in prayer, if you have any negativity you're carrying with you, let's let it melt right now. Julie, are you melting? All right. She's smiling. I think she's slowly melting. And so with that, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We, uh, we sing a prayer. We sing a prayer. We sing a song. And, we, and it is a prayer. And we go into prayer. The reason that we do this is it's become my... It is a doorway that I get to walk through. So I've had people leave because they don't like me singing the beginning of this prayer. Really, people have come up and said, I hate it when you sing. Thank you so much <clears throat> for sharing. And we love you. Some bless us by coming, some bless us by going, is all I have to say. So let's, if you'd like to stand with me and sing, that would be fantastic. And if not, please stay seated.
0: In this very room, One Spirit, one Spirit, is in in this very room, in this very room, in this very room.
1: And so I invite you to know with me as we come together in prayer. In affirmative prayer, not begging or pleading, but affirming and knowing and welcoming and surrendering to this infinite power and presence that, is, that we are immersed in, that God is everywhere present, that we are immersed in spirit. There is not a place on this planet that spirit is not expressing, revealing itself, either in the visual, in the intuitive, in the hearing of the notes. This song is God's song. And so I give thanks this day to be remembered of that. I count the blessings that are just... Amazing, Amazingly present in my life A mind to think A mind to choose A mind to comprehend And digest ancient wisdom And take it and internalize it And reveal something about myself That I never suspected ever To live in that mystery To live in the unknown And to welcome it And understand I don't have to understand Any of it or all of it To move into that state of grace That this infinite power and presence Is always saying Welcome, welcome I love you I love you. I support you. So may you and I open to that idea this day. Whatever is important and right for you and I to be made known in our intellect, in our heart, in our intuitive knowing, whatever it may be, let us welcome it, knowing it is all good, it is all God. And with that said, I know that we have welcomed a state of grace here, that we are shifted and changed from the time we entered these doors into the collective oneness of grace. For this I give thanks knowing that these blessings continue to pour themselves forth in our lives, in my life. For this I give thanks. I am so grateful for this day, this moment. It is beautiful. It is perfect. And I love what is. For this I give thanks. We release these words knowing that the perfection that we seek is already complete in the mind of the one. For this I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. Please be seated. Thank you for standing with me. All right. So we're starting a new book this month called The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist. And it's an, it's an amazing uh, book. I just love it. And I can tell that um, Victoria Castle, who wrote the, the Scarcity of Money, was obviously inspired by this book. Uh, but a phenomenal teacher. And what we talked about last week, we talked about the, being in the conversation, making the conversation real. And one of the things, I had an amazing week, and an incredible week of, of, uh, of deep reflection, and a number of things that came up. wasn't one thing, it was a number of things that came up. And what I got to do this week was I got a chance to pull back and, and, and do a lot of prayer and a lot of contemplation, because it was interesting. There were a lot of things that were coming up, and what I realized for myself is that, that I've asked for this. I've invited this into my experience. So there were a lot of people I said, hey, I'll get together with you, and we'll have coffee or We'll, we'll check in. I didn't do any of that this week because I needed to pull back in and really ground myself in spiritual practice. I share that with you because sometimes we need to do that. And so I didn't, I didn't share a lot. Had some experiences. Someone checked in with me uh, in the middle of the week said, How are you doing? And I said, I'm doing really good. Doing really, really good. But I'm still processing. I'm still looking at the things that happened because there were so many amazing things that happened. And I wanted to, I didn't want to affirmative prayer over those things because that's called spiritual bypass. I didn't want to affirm that everything was wonderful because there was a lot of things coming up. There, was a lot of th- there were a lot of things being revealed. And I think it's important not to take our practice of affirmative prayer and pray over conditions, but to be able to look at them. And that's part of the being in the truth, making the conversation real. So what I know for myself and my commitment, because I am so passionate about what we teach and what we stand for, this is a, this is a, a path that requires all of us and everything we have. And I'm going to talk a bit about that today. And it is always my desire that it's real. Because what you see is what you get. I can't be anything else. I can't stand up here and pretend. And I'm in this with you. And I want so badly for everyone to capture the the grace that is available to us. That when I hear people struggling with their stories, or with the way things have to be, it breaks my heart. And what I need to realize is that we're all in the stories, myself included. And sometimes I don't have patience. Sometimes I want people, I want myself, sometimes I want myself, I can't speak for others, to be further along. And then what happens, it becomes, I I become frustrated. And so what I realize is there's opportunity for me. It's never done. We're never done in this completion. But what I long for in my own life, and I'll share with you because, once again, I can only speak from my perspective. And this comes from Carolyn Mace. She's got a wonderful book called Defying Gravity, Healing Beyond Reason. Isn't that a wonderful idea? Healing Beyond Reason. I'm looking for a healing, and what would be reasonable for me is, you know, to feel good 20% of the time. What if you just threw that out? What if you didn't even have to quantify it or measure it? What if you felt good all the time in terms of being in the process? Even though I was sad throughout the week, I felt great, which seems paradoxical. But it's really about being real and being in the conversation with oneself and telling the truth. What Carolyn May says is that people are missing a sense of awe in their lives. A-W-E, awe, a connection to the sacred, a connection they can't make through their intellects. They don't want to talk about God. They want to feel the presence of God. They want to be overwhelmed by awe in the way that only a mystical experience can provide, and they want to silence that reasoning, demanding, inquisitive intellect and fall into the breathless experience of inner trust. So in other words, we teach the science of mind, right? That's our textbook. And so if I get really good with my mind, I should be able to master time, space, and dimension. It's one of my favorite lines from Steve Martin. He says, I want to be master of time, space, and dimension, then I want to see Europe. <laughs> and I think it's appropriate. It's a mystery. Carolyn May says, the only way to it is through grace. And then we get, came together, I said, when we come together in, with, with prayer, we help create a field of grace. And I sense it. I sense people relaxing more in this moment. There's a trust in grace. There's a surrender in grace. I said, put down your negativity. Just put it down for the next half hour. You can pick it. We'll leave it at the door. You can check them with your coats in the back. That's right. I was pretty negative when I came in here. I was pretty ticked off at so-and-so when I came in here. I could, you can pick that up later. Bask in this, the, 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 the cumulative consciousness of grace because that's what our spiritual teaching brings us to. That has been my experience. If our job was to sit around and blow kisses to one another all the time, I'd just have chapped lips probably. (laughs) We want to be able to tell the truth and tell it with love. And tell it with honesty and what's real. What's going on here? And so, truth is an interesting thing. To tell the truth and tell it quickly. To tell the truth Anton Chekhov said this about truth. He said, In the search for truth, human beings take two steps forward and one step back. This has been my experience, so I'm reading, I'm sharing this with you. Maybe it's not yours, it's been mine. Suffering, mistakes, and weariness of life thrust them back, but the thirst for truth and stubborn will drive them forward, and who knows, perhaps they will reach the real truth at last. I want to share with you what Carolyn Mace had to say about truth. I think it's... it's profoundly important. Truth is a force of transformation, which is why people fear the truth. Truth always causes change. There is no such thing as absorbing the power of a truth and having your life remain the same. In some ways, at some level, every truth changes your life. This mystical phenomena is also why truth has the power to heal and clean out the soul. This is why you have to build up the stamina to manage the power of truth. Okay? You gotta build the spiritual muscle. And you do it. How do you get to the how do you get to the grace? How do you live more in the grace than not? Well, it requires the F word. You know the F word? It requires forgiveness. Number one, it requires forgiveness every day for yourself and for others. When I pulled back in this week, I had to do a lot of forgiveness of self. I had to make amends. I had to, be, I had to stand in the humility of what was happening, and it wasn't one experience. There were several that were going on here, and I thought, isn't this an interesting theme? All this at once. I wanted to call God and say, God, could we lighten up a little bit this week? Because i got a whole week left, and it's all wide open. We could do half of this next week. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way. So we must develop the stamina to manage the power of truth. Now, what I'll tell you about it is we do need the intellect, and we do need the feelings. You can't throw those out and say, I'm just going to live in grace. It doesn't work that way. Because you've got to be able to look at the conditions of, the life in the, of your life in this situation and, and take from it the understanding and the wisdom and the clarity and the ancient wisdom that is seeking expression by means of us and applying it in some meaningful way so you know wh- what path you're on. What path are you on? These three men are Winkin, Blinkin, and Nod are in the west rest home, and they're elderly, and so they send them down for an evaluation to see how their memories are. And so Winkin, they're all three lined up, and the doctor comes in and says, Winkin, what is three times three? And Winkin says Monday. And so he, he asks Blinkin, he says, Blinkin, what's three times three? He said two eighty five. He goes and he talks to Nod, and he said, Nod, what is nine or three times three? And Nod says it's nine. The doctor says, that's excellent. How'd you come up with that? He said, well, you just subtract 285 for Monday. <laughs> you have to build up the... St- See, I have to throw something like that in because you guys get so serious when I start talking about truth, okay? I just need to lighten the mood so we can continue to sustain the state of grace. So let's hear it in grace. Because I'm sharing with you, I'm having a conversation with you, I'm not, I'm not pointing at you and, and imposing anything upon you, but I'm sharing ideas that I think are, are beautiful and powerful. This mystical phenomenon is also why truth has the power to heal and clean out the soul. And this is why you have to build up the stamina to manage the power of truth. The temptation to counsel others for personal gain is precisely what, <clears throat> what requires us to continually revisit our dark passion and work with the graces. You cannot reflect on the influences of your your dark passions once and think that you're done with them. Okay? They're always going to be there. What you bring is consciousness to them. And now, on to the graces. Once you are aware of these shadowy forces, you must remain in intimate contact with them, just as you remain in an ever-deepening relationship to your graces. No one... No one lives just in the light, any more than he lives only in the dark. The day contains the night, and the night always moves into the day, like the black dot within the white swirl in the yin and the yang symbol. The same is true of our natures. So what are our natures? I share with you a little bit of what I think. There's, <clears throat> There was a wonderful man that lived, passed away in 399. His name is Evagarius he, and he was an Egyptian monk. He was called one of the Desert Fathers. And they went out and they lived in the desert. And he, he took upon himself the task of detailing the different traps and temptations that distort understanding by imposing on the mind some false perceptions. Evagarius called these traps logamos or logismos. Thoughts that bewilder and befog the mind, so that slowly, bit by bit, we drift away into a world of self destructive fantasy. And I shared two of them with you last week, but I have all eight. Someone emailed me this week wanting to know the seven deadly sins. <clears throat> this is what inspired that idea, but these are not the seven deadly sins. What, what Evagarius called it <clears throat> was the eight traps. The problem, Evagarius, lay not in bad thoughts, but in a process of bad thinking that is really wrong vision, seeing things from our fears and our fantasies. Unrealities, rather than seeing things as they are, truly as they are. And so this whole idea of truth, you know, a lot of times I'm standing in the back, Well, I'll talk about truth and sharing the truth. Last week I said you need to tell the truth and tell it to someone in love. And so I was talking to some practitioners and said, my God, don't ever say that again. You know, everybody wanted to tell me their story. Wanted to tell me their story in the parking lot. You can hold your story for a while, but it's important to tell your story in truth and to, and to have it held in, in a sacred place. I had a guy call me on Friday, and he said, I've got things going on in my life, and it scares me at times because it's, go, it's spinning so fast. And he said, but I'm not telling any, everybody. He said, but I want to tell you because I know you can hold it for me and with me. It's important who you tell your story to. Because most people, when you start to tell their, your fears and their stories, if they haven't gone, if they haven't done the work, they can't listen to it. They may even keep quiet, but they can't take it in. They can't be there with you. There's that, that, that connection. You want consciousness. You want healing in sharing your story. The other part of it is that after you share it in love, you don't get to tell it again. You don't get to keep telling it over and over again. So make sure you're ready to tell it one last time. Because that's your story, and that's the facts of your life. But we are here to take dominion, and we're here to welcome in a new experience and a new story. And how do we move out of that story? Surrender. It's forgiveness. It's telling the truth to ourselves. It's telling the truth to ourselves. Where have you let yourself down? Pull it into your awareness. Where have you lived from your darkness? In Lynn Twist's book, The Soul of Money, she said we are conditioned on this planet to think there isn't enough. And we've got to have enough for our group, whether it's our family or our church. And it's just an idea we've bought into. Many people have the story, I don't deserve or I'm not good enough. You see, I hear it over and over and over again. Every week we come together and I tell you, you are good enough. You do deserve and you say yes, and you pick the story up as you leave. But it's simply building this spiritual muscle. And for me, it's having the patience to keep bringing the conversation back to what I think is true and honorable and honors everyone. And so we can fall into these traps. As Evagarius said, there's eight traps. They're not the seven deadly sins. They're eight traps. Now, he found this in 399. He went out in the desert. The first one is gluttony. And he went out into the desert and he decided that he was going to eat as Adam and Eve ate. And he almost killed himself eating that way. He realized, you know what? <clears throat> this is a bit extreme. I think I need to eat, go back to the way I used to eat. But he tried it. Gluttony is the first one. And gluttony is not about consumption over and over, although it is. How much food is enough? How much alcohol? You know they say with a, with a drunk, one drink is too many and a thousand is not enough? Gluttony. Anxiety is about he talks about anxiety about one's health or becoming ill. And what he says is don't waste time worrying about what thinking can't change. Wouldn't it be great if we could do that? If we could stop worrying about the things that thinking can't change? It's really the prayer of St. Francis. That's wisdom. And the virtue, the virtue to work towards, because I'm you know I'm dumping this, this trap on you. The virtue is sobriety to show up clear. Is this true? Is this real? Is this, does this need to be said? Many of, us, many of us process out loud. This week I just had to pull back in and listen and pay attention. And every time there was something that came up, it was either an, op- it was either an opportunity to surrender, I don't know. I, there's so much of it I don't know, but I, I have enough experience to know when, when I need to hand it off. I don't know, but something within me does know. You know, I tell you, when I do spiritual practice, I, almost, I was going to do a song for you today. I'm going to do it next week. <clears throat> but one of the things I love about it, I, I started playing the guitar again after 20 years. I started playing the guitar. And I tell you, when I get a song together, Jordan helps me. I, it, it brings me to tears. He said, man, I've never worked with anybody that's so emotional. And, and for me, it's the joy. And when I'm in the song, when I'm playing the song and I'm, I'm doing the chords and I'm singing the music, I can't think. I can't pull my story up. And I'm so grateful because for so long I wanted to jump back into it. But for number one, I was always busy earning money, working so hard, working 90, 100 hours a week, trying to provide, struggling to provide and bring enough home and bring enough home on time. Because I didn't deserve. And when I finally created the space in my life for that to happen, all of a sudden I can go back to the music, which for me is spiritual practice. It puts me in that space. In my meditation, people ask, I don't know how to meditate. What I do in my meditation, I stop thinking. And I have certain practices I do. I talk about it all the time. If you can track your breathing and rub your fingers together, you can't think about anything else. You can only do those two things at one time. It creates a spaciousness for me. I don't have divine revelation. There's not a book being written through me right now when I do that. I just stop thinking. Because my stories aren't true. They're just my stories, and I know they're not going to take me to the place that I want to live in. I want to live in, that, I want to live in that God-inspired life. And if I thought that me telling you my stories over and over again was going to inspire me, every week, I would empty this place out in three weeks. <clears throat> I know I would. So it's sobriety. The first one, gluttony. Anxiety about health or becoming ill. Don't waste time worrying about what thinking can not change. Number two is fornication or lust. Imaginary entanglements, thoughts of a variety of bodies, and focusing on parts of bodies, all of which can lead to an obsession with the unreal rather than an attempt to cope with what is really here in front of us. $399. What how much money is spent on pornography in the world? I'm not making I'm just saying observation, but it's billions of dollars. So what it is, it's a trap. It's just a trap. You know, people people come into me all the time and say, I got this, I got this trap going i said, say, well, how long do you think that'll keep serving you well? It's none of my business to say it's right or wrong. It doesn't represent what I stand for. It's not where I want to put my energy. But I, me telling him that that's bad and wrong is not going to change anything. That's just going to give him more guilt and shame. So t- let, it, let it take you to where it needs to take you. And maybe one day you can put it down. And maybe not. But I can't withhold my love and support because the other thing I can do, which I've done most of my life, is judge that. That's just a call for prayer. That's just a lack of grace in one's life. That is taking that is taking what can be quite sacred and wonderful and turning it and objectifying it and making it a thing. But we don't talk about that. That's why the conversation, make the conversation real. Does this serve a greater purpose? The third one, avarice, the love of money. Feudal plans for an unreal future, a preoccupation with hopes and fears, with with an imaginary future. Hoarding money or anything else reveals a lack of faith. Leave the future to God. It's a lack of faith. Set your intention. Know what qualities to embody. And let the universe, let it unfold for you. That's why we release the prayer. I release these words knowing I have impressed upon the infinite intelligence of the one, this new idea But my idea might not be the perfect expression, so it's this or something greater. That's why we don't outline. This or something greater. What wants to have its way by means of me? And what must I become to fulfill that call? What must I become? This last week, when I was doing all this work, I realized I've asked for this. I've asked for this to elevate my game. And my passion about what we teach and my passion about showing up and making the conversation real is my priority because I want the best for everybody. I want the best for everyone. And and as I said, if we sit around and blow kisses to one another and and pretend it's all perfect, I don't think that's what we want to do. I think that's why this teaching is so difficult and challenging. Because when you come in and you realize you deserve and you're a winner, we use all that language. But if underneath you're not feeling like a winner, you're holding on to your story, you're hoarding your story. Like you hoard your money. As Lynn Twist says, the way we deal with money is the way we deal with everything. Because there's nothing more intimate than people's money. There's no place in your life, it's true for me, is there going to be enough? Am I going to make it to the end of the month? Am I going to be able to retire? All of those fear-based ideas. The fourth one. So the, the, so the quality for the second one, lust, is innocence. I think I skipped the quality. It's innocence. This idea of just being innocent. Going back to our divine nature, which is innocence. The third one is avarice, the love of money, which is non-attachment. The fourth one is envy, obsession with the past, a haunting remembrance of the old days, those happy days now gone and never to return. Distress over deprivation. To include a kind of depression, a cultivated sorrow. I blew my chance. It's all over. It's never too late. Much of the pain of spiritual suffering comes from a wallowing in wishes and fantasies of things being other than the way they are. And the quality there is equanimity. It's balance. To be able to step up in your life, whatever's going on in your life, say, man, this is a beautiful day. I am finding blessings everywhere I look. I'm looking out and I'm seeing the face of God. We have beautiful music here. We are opulent in how we come together and celebrate. Music, beautiful chairs, beautiful facility. This is our spiritual home. This is your spiritual home, if you take ownership of it. And so we celebrate those things. But it is, it is the ability to find the blessings in each moment that helps keep us into that, connected to that state of grace. And we forget sometimes, we fall into these traps The fifth is anger. Anybody here ever gotten angry? Not the emotion, but a clinging to its fervor. The resentment that refuses forgiveness. The resentment that refuses forgiveness. Obsession with someone who has wronged us. Unable to think of anything else. The trouble comes from failing to see the real issue. Anger, which is inevitable. It is inevitable for all of us. Is not to be squandered by focusing attention on the wrongs of others. It should be directed at our own faults and especially at how we have wronged others, thus moving us to make amends. So <coughs> excuse me, to do something kind even for people who have offended us. To be so so clear about forgiveness. So clear about forgiveness that we forgive and forgive immediately. Spend a lot of time in forgiveness this week for self, for myself, and where can I make amends? and it's perfect, it's perfect to stay in it and and to extract the value of it so you can continue to have the real conversation and to hold people accountable and hold oneself accountable hold the highest standard you possibly can for your life when people show up and are living from these things what I tell them now is that doesn't represent me I don't think I want to go there with you I don't have to fix them, you don't have to change anybody we don't have to be the, the hall monitor for the world I always wanted to be hall monitor when I was a kid in school, but they wouldn't let me. <laughs> they put me way in the back. I went to a Catholic school. The nuns would always put me in the back. Usually there were rows. I, was in all, I, was in the, I had the row all to myself. I was in the back. And you have no idea how hard it is to entertain everyone from that position. <clears throat> Very frustrating. But I did a pretty good job, I want you to know. So anger... The quality for that is serenity. Serenity. Relaxing into what is. Being at peace with what is. Number six is self pity, listlessness or boredom in which nothing engages our interest or appeals to us. Walking around in prickly tedium. What's the use? Nobody cares and nothing matters anyway. Melancholy and self centeredness. The quality is right action. And the two most treacherous, I shared them last week, but I'll share them again, is vainglory and pride. Number seven is vainglory, daydreaming about one's own magnificence and imagined glory. It's living in that fantasy. And if you if you we talk about visualization and seeing yourself somewhere, that's different than this. Vainglory is this this, this idea about how great we all are, and it's not based in reality. We have this moment to live in. I hired a guy one time to work for me back in Southern California and he he showed up and he told me, he says, I'm a leader of men. And, you know, I'll help you and and on and on. It was a beautiful speech. I could tell he'd been rehearsing it for years. And his name was Monty. I'll never forget Monty. And then Monty would show up. We'd start at 7. Monty would show up every day about 10, 15, 10, 30. And after about three days, I said, Monty, as a leader of men, I need you to be here at 7 o'clock so that the men can be led somewhere. And Monty was a good guy, great guy. But he'd made up a story about himself. And I had to look at what we were doing and what we were trying to get done, and his story didn't line up with what my purpose and mission were. So I got a chance to tithe Monty back to the universe. (laughs) You can tithe people back to the universe. You can, and you can do it with great love. But I'll never forget Monty telling me he was a leader of men. Vainglory. And so the, the quality is honesty. The quality is honesty. To embody, to work towards, to, to hold sacred. Eight is pride. Consistent supposing we can do anything without God. Pride. Pride to think that we can do anything without God. It's all God. If if my ticket gets punched right now, that essence that is God that is being expressed by means of me, I will just be, uh, I'll be a cadaver up here is what I'll be. Even the animation of life, even the breath we take is a gift from God. The mystics knew that. The mystical experience. Carolyn Mace has this wonderful book called Defying Gravity. And she said... After working in the field, and she's been a, a medical intuitive for 20 years. In other words, people would call her. She, did it very, she always did it most of the time on the phone. She didn't get into the personal relationships. People would call and say, can you help me? I'm having a health challenge. I don't know what it is. And she didn't talk about it much. She, she talked about herself as an author and a writer. But she said, after working in the field of health and healing for more than two decades, I have come to believe that we as a society have not fully animated the mind-body-spirit connection, that trinity that is the foundation of this approach to health. For a simple reason, we are still enamored of the more familiar power of the mind and and intimidated by the less familiar, the mystical and the transformational regions of the soul. And so although we may use the language of spirit, we frequently retreat into the methods of the mind, which primarily indulge our need to find reasons why events happened as they did in our lives. We seek to learn why we were hurt during our childhood, for example, or what lessons lie hidden in the illness that we have developed. The underlying premise is that if we can excavate these reasons, then our lives will return to normal. We will recover our health just as vibrant as if it was before the illness struck. But that rarely happens. Because this system of reasoning, our way through illness and crisis, is undermined by a fundament- fundamental flaw. We cannot reason our way back to health, our intellect is inadequate. It's an inadequate vehicle to carry us through the arduous journey of healing. Healing requires far more of us than just participation of our intellectual and even our emotional resources. And it certainly demands that we do more than look backward into the dead-end archives of our past. Healing is, by definition, taking a process of disintegration of life and transforming it into a process of return to life. The mind cannot accomplish such a task. Only the soul has the power to bring the body back to life. If it weren't for the fact that I have now witnessed this phenomena several times, I would not venture into this territory of healing with enough confidence to share my findings with others. So we have a teaching called the science of mind. And as I said earlier, we, have to have, we, have, we need all of it. We need our minds. And as I, I, and I illustrated here, there were eight traps that I think in my lifetime I've, I've experienced at least once. I don't know about you guys, but for me, they're all—they've all been alive in me. They're all still alive in me, as Carolyn May says. We never lose those. But what my spiritual practice has done for me is, I've wakened up. As I'm more mindful when I start to go there, I go, oh, "There I am worrying about the future. There I am worrying about not enough." And I'm—and I'm wise enough now to know that the only way to to ground myself in something that's productive for me is this, to find the blessings in this day to stay present with myself, to put my story down. As I said, I got great stories. Really compelling. When it was this big, should I tell you the story about it? When it was that big? A little guy like, no, I won't go there. Okay. But we all have the stories and we have to be able to surrender them. We have to be able to put them down. And it's a challenge because they're so compelling because we wear them. We wear them so closely. Carolyn May says this to say about this idea, this activity, she says, the people I know who have experienced healing told me that they were able to detach from pre-existing images of God. You even have to put down the idea of what God is, it, which means I don't know. I don't know, and I'll never know. But it's alive in my life, and I'm available to it, in that state of grace. It is that state of grace that is so beautiful and vibrant. So we do affirmative prayer, and we do the reading. We use our intellect. We feel our feelings. What's alive for you? I ask that all the time. What's alive for you? What's coming up in class? And people want to talk about the reading or they want to talk about this or they have a question about this. I don't care about that. I want to know what's alive for you because that's where the gift is. If you've ever done a class with me, I I may not ever get through the curriculum because I don't care about the curriculum. I care about you and your soul and moving you into that state of grace. And if we can get there by having an honest discussion in truth, I'm going there. And you know why I can do that? Because I've done enough of the work to be able to do it. And if I hadn't done the work, I wouldn't be here with you. One of the reasons I think our movement doesn't grow more and it's not more prolific is because you have to have radical courage and commitment to do the work. You have to. And if you can't do the work, it's just more words. It's just empty. And I know that. And man, I don't want to... When, when my flame gets snuffed out, I don't want to look back and say, man, I held back because I needed to protect you or I needed to protect myself. Let's have the honest conversation about truth with ourselves. Indeed, they managed to detach from everything. Their wounds, their need to be right, their need to win, their need to know why things happened as they did in their lives. Since doing so, they discover that all they really surrendered was their fear and their darkness. It's all we've got to give up is fear and darkness. And those eight traps I talked about are, reflect the conversation of fear and darkness. I'm not telling you, dude, I'm not telling you this stuff to make you feel bad. If you can recognize those things, fantastic, they're alive in you. Just stop living from them. We all have them. We we came hardwired to have those experiences. But then we see the aberrant form of them being played out over and over and over again on the planet. We wonder why the the world looks the way it looks. It's because we get into those traps and we think that's our life. That's the story we make up. And much to their great awe, let me back up, in doing so they discovered that all they really surrendered was their fear, their darkness. And much to their great awe, their disease. In giving up these things, they were given everything they needed, beginning with their lives. That was the pattern that I saw in all of the healing that I had witnessed. The pattern that became the inspiration for this book. I realized that healing is not a matter of visualization, sacred oils, processing wounds, lighting candles, and all the rest. Ultimately, healing is a result of a mystical act of surrender, an awakening that transcends any religion. It is an intimate dialogue of truth between the individual and the divine. David White, always talking about being in the conversation. Being in the conversation, that's the conversation. Where to tell the truth is, is with ourselves. To be present with ourselves. And stop BSing ourselves. Which is our belief systems, by the way. <laughs> that's what BS stands for. Just want to let you know. Clean that up. <laughs> Telling the truth. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Whenever I talk about this, people come through the line. And they give me information about myself. That's not true. It's their opinion. Don't confuse your opinion, especially about me, with the truth. The truth is that conversation we have. Is this real? Is this true? What can I find in this, in this moment to be grateful for? What consciousness, what idea can I embody? What, what can I surrender my resentment, the resentment, the 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 fever, the the, the that fevered pitch of, of resentment about what somebody did to us, we hang on to like a, a life raft. You have to put that down. You can't get there in that conversation. You can't get there in that consciousness. That's what it requires. It requires a spiritual coin of surrender. Police get a call one day, and they go to a home, and there's a woman standing there over her, her husband. And she's holding a golf club and so the coroner arrives they pronounce the man dead and uh, police officer said this is your husband she said yes it is and the golf club's got blood on the end of it and she said did you hit him with the club and she said yes I did maybe you know, how many times and she said well maybe six seven eight nine times I don't remember but put me down for a five If you ever played in one of our golf tournaments, that's the way it goes. <laughs> Put me down for a five. Lynn Twist says it this way in her book, The Soul of Money. And it's a wonderful book, and I'm going to flesh it out more next week. But I wanted to, to have this conversation with you because the conversation needs to be real. And we need to be in the conversation. And you do that with spiritual practice. You look at it, and you find what is alive for you in this moment. How can I do this differently? How can I surrender my story and move into something else? It's a mystery. It's not looking for magic. It's a mystery. A great deal of this is the mystery. When I do spiritual practices, I said, I need to stop thinking. I just want to stop the thinking. When I meditate, I just want the thinking to stop. I don't know how anybody can not meditate. For me, I can stop the thinking, and I can just be present. And usually nothing happens. Usually thoughts come, and I see myself thinking, and then I go back to whatever it is that grounds me. Maybe it's my breathing. Maybe it's an idea. Maybe I dissolve the idea into my heart of unconditional love. There's all kinds of things you can do. But it's to stop thinking. Lynn, Lynn Twist says this. I believe that under it all, when you get right down to it, uncover all the things we're told to believe in, or things we are maneuvered and manipulated to believe in, or even things we choose to believe in, what deeply matters to human beings our most universal, soulful commitments and core values is the well-being of the people we love. Ourselves and the world in which we live. We really do want a world that works for everyone. And we don't want children to go hungry, do we? I don't know anybody that's in favor of that. We don't want violence and war to plague the planet anymore, even if it's a distant place. We don't want torture and revenge and retribution to be instruments of government and leadership. Everyone wants a safe Secure, loving, nourishing life for themselves and the ones they love and really for everyone. We all want a healthy planet and an opportunity for everyone to have a chance of a healthy, productive life. She continues to also believe that under their fears and upsets, even the deepest ones, everyone wants to love and to be loved and make a difference in their lives. So her whole mission and passion is to to take this conversation around resources and be able to put down the traps. And she said, what happens for us with money, money can be a conveyance of that, that grace that we seek in our lives, but it is all about the consciousness we give and receive from. And it is so intimate. It is so intimate for all of us. What do I need to be, and she asked these questions, and I'll leave these with you this week. What do I need to be to fulfill the commitments I've made? What commitments have you made? If it's to be happy, if it's to be more abundant, if it's to be more creative, is to put down the worry, whatever it may be, then what must what, what do you need to become, what must I become to, to fulfill that commitment that I have made? What kind of human being do I need to forge myself into to make this happen? This is what we teach, and this is what we believe, is to embody those qualities. What must I become in order for this to happen? And what resources do I need to be willing to bring to bear in myself and my colleagues and in the world? What resources do I need to be willing to bring to bear in myself and my colleagues and in the world? They're great questions. You don't have to answer them now. Keep asking the question. What is it? What am I being called to do here? So what we're doing is we're we're stepping up this year. Now, does everyone understand? Because I get calls every week. We've announced that the wind spear is what does it cost to get in? Okay, it's free. The wind spear is free. And um, I want you to know that we're not charging anything for it. In fact, it's free. <laughs> there is no charge for the wind spear, it's free. I'm doing it. Pardon me? Thank you, Tonya. They're $27.50. It is free. Now, we've announced that, I think, every week since we decided to do this. But you need to announce it seven times. So what I'm doing is every service, I'm announcing it seven times. It's free. It's not charging. Nothing. It's nada. You come. It is our, it is our Easter celebration. And for us to say to you, okay, thanks for your support all year long, and by the way, now to, to celebrate Easter with us, come on down and we're going to sell you a ticket does not seem like it's integrity but anyway I want to make that clear so everybody knows it's free and I'm gonna do this next week and I'm gonna do it every week until we get there because I don't want anybody confused and not coming and invite all your family invite all your friends it's gonna be great I won't scare anybody I promise okay but but what we're gonna do is next week I'm gonna put in your programs Uh, I want you to identify a cause something that you believe in something that you'd like to see us as a community support we're going to take your suggestions, we're going to write them down, we're going to look at where we can direct, because what we're going to do at the Windsor is I'm going to announce the weekend where everything we collect, everything we collect that week in our offering, in our basket, we're going to, we're going to send out into the world. Every nickel that comes in that week, and we're going to do this throughout the year, because, because it's the thing to do, and it is practicing the highest form of faith. And I want you to be part of this. I want your genius and I want your willingness because money is a tool and it is practicing that highest form of faith and taking a stand in the world and saying, We support this and we'll figure it out. The collective consciousness, the generosity of this environment will guide us in that. So I just want you to give some thought this week. When you come back next week, you'll have a form in your program. Write something down. Let us know because we don't know all the great things that are going on in the world. We've helped build schools in Malawi. We've helped with the One Campaign. We just, we've supported a number of things, but we're excited about this. We've made a commitment as a community, as a, as a spiritual community, to practice this and practice it openly and share this with you. So I, I, I want you to know this is your opportunity. And from that, from that action, from that, that generosity of spirit, we'll see things crack open for us. And we'll be challenged. And we'll be called to certain things we can't even imagine. But we know that because that's part of the mystery. So thank you for helping be in this this field of grace this day with me. Thanks for living in the mystery with me. The best truly is yet to come, and so it is.